The most exciting part of a vacation stay at a home rental? Easy. It's being greeted upon arrival with a rusted lockbox affixed to the underside of a stranger's condo. Yeah, you simply twist knobs, click gears, jiggle it, and then rip it off its moorings, and voila! Your prize is a key to a questionable home rental and maybe tetanus. When you just want to get your vacation started by actually getting into your room, it matters where you stay. At Hilton, we deliver your key right to your phone on the Hilton Honors app. Hilton for the stay. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. At IKEA, your dream home is a blue bag away. No matter the size of your space or budget, we've got everything you need to turn your dreams into reality. And now with new lower prices on hundreds of our most popular products, bringing the dream home is even easier. Like the gray strandum wing chair, was $369, now $299. And the IKEA Plus 365 nine-piece cookware set was $129.99, now $89.99. And hundreds more. Shop new lower prices at ikea-usa.com today. Hello and welcome to this week's big interview with me, Saul David and Patrick Bishop. You're about to hear a conversation we had with Colonel Hassan that we recorded on location in Kyiv. I hope you enjoy it. So day three of our trip, and as promised, we are meeting up with some of our former friends on the podcast. And one of the earliest interviewees was Colonel Hazan. He's given me a bit of a rocket to get the pronunciation right, but I won't get it wrong from now on. Colonel Pavlo Hazan. We are in his base in Kiev, uh, destination undisclosed, of course. So, Colonel, we're very fortunate to be seeing you here, aren't we? Because uh, we spoke a few days ago and you said, well, uh, I'm probably going to be on leave, in which case we might miss you. So what happened and wh- wh- why why the change? Uh, it's, uh, it's because we came back from the front line so we needed some more time for reporting and to finalize some of our our activities here i mean we should stress it's extraordinary for people listening to get a sense of the tempo of operations that you've been uh, involved in because as you just said this is the first time since february 2022 that you've got a chance to spend some time on leave effectively i mean yes. that it's hard for people to get their heads around that because um that's a hell of a strain on you and your family life, your, your, your relationship yeah. with your girlfriend. Yeah, of course. It's uh, really, uh, <laughs> this is not, not only me, but uh, many of my friends, colleagues and uh, officers, servicemen in Ukraine, which had uh, very, uh, very short vacation. And uh, this is not a unique situation that from the big invasion from, from the February, I have the first time I have this, yeah. Okay, well, we hope you enjoy it uh, and you come back refreshed. But when we last spoke, Colonel, you had recently uh, received a promotion and expansion in your responsibilities to taking command of the Territorial Forces 
unmanned systems and that's as you just mentioned to me a second ago that's that's both aerial and ground systems can you tell us just a tiny little bit about what some of those systems do uh, i'm responsible for all unmanned system in the territorial defense forces command and uh, yes this is not only aerial system this is also land system and water system of course first of all we are working with uh, aerial system it's fixed wind and, and, and drones. And they are, first of all, directed for air reconnaissance, for artillery fire correction. And uh, also, this is, uh, uh, these are kamikaze drones and uh, striking drones, which are carrying lithium munition. And uh, it's, it's now very effective because uh, uh, if we're calculating of how much uh, resources uh, we can spend, artillery or, for example, striking drones, for some operations, it's better to use striking drones than artillery. Because, it's, of course, it's still not changing artillery uh, because it, it's an absolutely different effect from the artillery striking or, or striking drones. But at the same time, if, if we would like to target, uh, for example, one self-propelled artillery vehicle or armored vehicle or a, a small position, of course, it's, it's better to use drones than to use artillery. But at the same time, my units also in a close collaboration with artillery units, with artillery brigades, and doing artillery fire correction for them. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things we've noticed over the last month or so in the counteroffensive, the Western reporting of the counteroffensive, relatively irresponsible reporting in my view, has comments on criticism of the uh, alleged slowness of the, of the Ukrainian counteroffensive. But if you're a little bit more sophisticated in your analysis, like I hope we are on Battleground Ukraine, we are beginning to see the degrading of the Russian capacity to resist in multiple different areas. But one I suspect that your units have been involved in, and that's the targeting of uh, Russian artillery. And I, it's interesting, you made the point that sometimes if there's a single gun here or there, self-propelled gun, you're not going to waste maybe HIMARS fire on that. You can take it out with, a, with a, 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 an unmanned drone. Is that the sort of thing that you've been involved in? Yes. Actually, we are working with, with different kind of, uh, of equipment, a different kind of weapon. As I told about artillery, my units uh, doing this uh, service for artillery. Actually, yesterday, it was very successful operation with uh, one of our unit, which uh, corrected high marses. So it was very, uh, I, I cannot share the, the, the <laughs> what kind of, of object, but it was very successful mission. Uh, so uh, it it's also depends of situation, it depends of the concrete place, but uh, we are working with different equipment and different weapon. And, and just more generally, Colonel, because we think it's important that the people in the West are patient and do understand that this is a long, slow, methodical process and that it is, I mean, we can't, we can't look into the future and know exactly what's going to happen. But can you give us a sense from your perspective that you do feel that this is going to lead to some kind of resolution on the battlefield, which would be very good for Ukraine? 
Yeah, but of course it's it's very long process, and uh, we cannot say that now just counteroffensive started and all our troops uh, will go and uh, release our te territories. We understand very clear that everything should be very well planned. I don't know exactly, of course, about the old plans because this is responsibility of uh, our commanders. First of all, uh, our commander-in-chief, uh, General Zaluzhny, and of course, these people know very well all strategical things. And I believe that these people really one of the best, the, the brilliant generals, commanders, who really would like to organize everything so sophisticated to, first of all, to have our losses as, as small as possible, because it's, it's very important. It is possible to go very fast, but in case if we will go very fast, we will lose a lot of, a lot of soldiers. And this is a very, very big problem. That is why the, all these operations should be very well prepared. So patience is necessary. And the reason I mentioned the West, of course, is because there is a fear among many of the supporters of Ukraine that the, some of the politicians, some of the countries will begin to lose the determination to keep supporting Ukraine. So that's the broader point here, isn't it? That everybody needs to have patience, obviously the Ukrainian people, but also yeah. its Western backers. Okay, so um, we have you now back in Kyiv. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on here and what your organization is doing? Yeah, my responsibility, first of all, to organize all system of our units. Uh, I have many units in our service. And my job, first of all, to have these units and people very well trained, to supply these units uh, with equipment, and with all uh, uh, necessary munition and, uh, and weapon. And of course, uh, to control them and to support them during the operations and missions. This is what, what, what we are doing. And uh, we are also creating U and U units. Okay, so a certain amount of training going on here. Um, uh, you're adding to your capabilities here. Yeah. Just one last thing on, on your experience over the last year or so. You, w what you're doing is clearly hugely important for uh, the Ukrainian armed forces. But at the same time, you must be, your men must be quite a big target for the Russians because they know how effective you must have been. And of course, they want to counteract that. As a result, has your units, are your men taking a lot of casualties? Actually, uh, if we're talking about unmanned systems, units, uh, it's not so much. But at the same time, we would like to have much less. And that is why we try to implement more sophisticated systems to have our people working not just on the zero line, uh, to further back. It's also not a very, very easy process. It's also very complicated because we, we need many more equipment for that. But at the same time, my aim to replace soldiers with robots. And this is what I want. And this is like a, my, my big aim that all the processes uh, should be uh, robotized. And all this uh, equipment should, should be as much as possible modern, sophisticated, uh, useful, 
and uh, working on the on the bigger distances. Can that happen in the relatively short term, Colonel? Because we, we, there's a lot of talk in the West about AI and how that's going to change a lot of things in civil society. But obviously in the military sphere, this is going to make big differences too. Yes, of course, it, it should change in different spheres. Absolutely. And you know that like in Ukraine, it's a very, if you're talking about unmanned system and robotic system, it's a very huge movement. And there are many, many people involved in all these processes. And it, it is very good because in many spheres, we are like pioneers. And we have a very huge experience using unmanned system on the, on the front line. And even in the building of the system of management of, this, of these unmanned systems. It's interesting you say that because, of course, one of the things that we must do and we are doing on the podcast is looking ahead. Uh, we're going to see some uh, minefields tomorrow and speak to the people who are involved in the clearing of minefields, which is what is going to need to be done when peace comes. But it's interesting what you say about uh, Ukrainian capability. I mean, you're going to be the world leaders, frankly, in the use of unmanned uh, systems in the years to come. And while you don't want to base your whole economy on war-type material. It will be the sort of expertise that's going to be very useful to your partners in the future, which we hope will be NATO and certainly other Western countries. Uh, it may be, uh, what I'm hinting at, Colonel, is that you yourself may stay in this sphere rather than going back to uh, some of the things you were doing before as an engineer. What do you think? Uh, it's, it's actually a <laughs> very, very interesting question. Yes, indeed. Ukraine started to be a leader in this field and I believe that not only because of not during the war but I believe that after the war having all this experience on the battlefield as well as the very huge experience in the production of uh, unmanned systems yes Ukraine will have a, a very big potential and I believe that Ukraine will leads on the on the world market that is why yes i i'm thinking <laughs> about this because uh, we have enough experience of course in electrical engineering as well as in unmanned system and robotics and of course i'm dreaming about my environmental engineering because i have uh, many many projects many ideas to do but at the same time i understand that having this uh, terrible neighbor Ukraine uh, has to, to develop all these military technologies and we are like a professionals in these military technologies and uh, high-level users. We also should be somehow involved in this, uh, in this industry, in, the, in these processes. Okay, well, thank you so much for that and we wish you all the best and keep doing the great work you're doing. Thank you, Colonel. Uh, thank you very much, Saul, for having me at podcast every time. It's a very honor for me to, to talk on your podcast and uh, thank you very much indeed. Okay, we're going to take a break now and when we come back I'll give my thoughts on the interview and Patrick and I will sum up our thoughts on our first full day in Kyiv. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds. Thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. 
This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. Welcome back. So that was pretty fascinating. Um, we've just come back from the meeting with Colonel Hazan. I've checked in on Patrick and he's feeling a lot better. So hopefully we'll have a bit more of a detailed debrief with him later today. Uh, but James and I were kind of looking at ourselves halfway through the off the record conversation with the Colonel, which of course took place after we'd finished recording. Uh, and he was telling us about some of the capabilities of his unit, um, which covers, as I think he mentioned in the interview, all unmanned drones for the Territorial Defence Force, including river drones or marine drones, aerial drones, fixed wing and non-fixed wing, including some pretty sophisticated kit. But he gave us a little insight. I can't uh, go into any details, of course, for obvious reasons, into some of the stuff that's happening in real time at the moment. And it was, wow. I mean, they've got that capability and that was developed by engineers and IT guys working for the colonel and it is really knock your socks off time. I mean, when this war is over, I'll probably be able to talk about it a bit more openly, but we certainly can't now, but it's the sort of capability that all armies are looking to get over the other. And and he's absolutely convinced that the Russians don't know they have it. And he's also uh, convinced that the Russians don't have a similar capability. So there's a certainly a big technological gap there. But it was just fascinating talking to him more generally about, you know, his philosophy, what he might do after the war, the the possibility that Ukraine thanks to the ingenuity of its people and the development of things like drones, is going to be kind of world leader in a lot of this technology, which, of course, is going to be very useful for Ukraine as it tries to build back its economy and get back on its feet. We said our goodbyes. The colonel gave me a, a little patch, his recognition patch, which was very nice of him. And in return, I gave him some whiskey, which is his favorite tipple. But he did add that uh, he wouldn't be drinking at any time soon, but rather he would wait for the victory when that comes. Well, one other interesting uh, development while we were with the colonels, he gave me a publication which has recently been brought out in English, fortunately, um, called Environmental Consequences of Russian War in Ukraine. Uh, why did the colonel give it to me? Because he is one of the co-authors uh, and it's fascinating and also quite chilling subsections, the main sources of environmental pollution during military activities, and they include, of course, chemical composition, ammunition, missile weapons and their type, ammunition with white phosphorus. Then the impact of military activities on the separate environmental components of the Ukraine, the influence of air activity, 
the influence of uh, military activities on the state of water resources of Ukraine. That, of course, would include the sort of impact from the uh, smashing of the dam by the Russians recently. Uh, and then it goes on to talk about the war in Ukraine, uh, the war against the environment, the view of war from the Czech perspective, and then conclusions, the ne negative impact of war on the environment. And those impacts include direct mass exposure to toxic chemicals, environmental devastation caused by the physical impact of fires, explosion, soil damage, etc., and the destruction of the environment by man-made disasters caused by the shelling of industrial enterprises. And that, of course, includes the mass emissions of ammonia, chlorine, nitric acid, etc., etc. So it just reminds you, doesn't it, that it's one thing winning the war, but it's another uh, getting the country back to anything like uh, its normal state. And, and also a reminder that the war is all being fought in Ukraine proper on Ukrainian territory. And therefore, it's Ukraine that's going to have to deal with the consequences of this, not Russia. Well, it's uh, evening. Evening has fallen on Kiev. The climate here is fabulous. It's uh, summery, it's warm, but it's, it's not oppressively so. And this is a, a green city. There are plenty of trees and open spaces. I've had a bit of a lazy day. I was feeling a bit rough uh, this morning as a result of some medication that hasn't agreed with me. But I've just been wandering around. Basically, I had to get some air and I... I stopped off for lunch at a little, uh, actually not so little, a, a rather funky fish restaurant, which I've got to tell you, I had the best fish I've had in many a long year. And this is another eye-opener, striking thing about Kiev. We sound like as if we're working for the, for the local tourist board or something, but we had a brilliant meal last night, fantastic Greek meal last night. So it, it all adds up to this picture, just to bring it back into perspective of a city that is just you know, getting on with life as normal in a very sort of, you know, um, impressive way. This is, a, this is a great, great city. And uh, I think we all agree we're going to be back. Yeah, we're trying to decide where to go out to dinner tonight. We, we've, we've had a Georgian restaurant recommended, which we're going to go and have a look at. But I think we do have to acknowledge, though, Patrick, for all the you know, the attempt by the locals to carry on as normal. We did have a little window earlier today into what the reality of a city at war is like. And that, of course, is us. As you already know, you've probably heard a couple of extracts before this chat, us sitting there in a cafe, ignoring the air raid sirens, and then boom, we turned around, huge puff of white smoke in the sky, and uh, what clearly looked to us to be an incoming missile that had been taken out. Well, this has been confirmed not only by us chatting to locals on the ground, including actually a taxi driver who's, who said that he was pretty certain it was a supersonic missile that had come in. And indeed, so the press reports are now suggesting it was one of four that were, came into the area, only one directed at Kyiv city itself that was taken out because it's got such good air defenses and another three at a, at a nearby airfield, which uh, did actually strike. So just goes to show there are only so many patients to go round. Okay, on to the interview with uh, our friend Pavlo Hazan. He pointed out to me, um, could I please stop calling him Kazan? Uh, and I promised I would. Now, um, you'll have already heard, I think, by this time, the, the discussion between the two of us. But what you didn't hear is the off-the-record chat afterwards, which in many ways, and Patrick will remember this from his days as a war reporter, was more interesting because he was able to, once they'd put down the microphones, really 
give us a lot of extraordinarily dramatic secrets about what he and his unit were up to. Um, I can't go into details, of course, but, you know, frankly, do you have to take it from me if, if the military in the Second World War had had the sort of knowledge that some of the Ukrainian forces have, they would have made hay with it. And we hope the Ukrainians will be able to do the same thing. But anyway, lo lots of fascinating things that he was discussing. It was great to see him, of course. We've, um, we've spoken to enormous numbers of people and met very few of them in the flesh. And to actually meet them on the ground in Ukraine is, is something different too. So I think we'd have to say, Patrick, well, what are we, four days into our trip now, three in Ukraine, it was undoubtedly worth coming, wasn't it? Oh, no, no question at all. I mean, there is no substitute for actually witnessing things yourself, even though we're not right, not right down on the front lines, you do get a pretty good idea of what a nation at war uh, looks and feels like. Uh, we'll be talking to more people tomorrow. I want to talk to some young people, actually, and get their point of view. Um, I'm very much interested in hearing the Ukrainian perspective rather than having it mediated through the eyes of, of experts who are here on the ground. What they say is fascinating. They know what they're talking about, but uh, you know, very vital to hear it straight from the mouths of, of people who, who are going to be the future of this place. So that's one of our things on our itinerary tomorrow. It will be going around talking to some of the young people of Kiev. And also, Patrick, I don't know if we'll, we'll actually get round to this, but the plan is also to go to a cemetery. I think we need to see for ourselves the evidence of what this war is doing to the Ukrainian people. And also, according to our fixer, Taras, has uh, promised us, there will be a good opportunity to talk to one or two people there who, of course, have had direct losses in the war. So that might be interesting too. All right, we're heading off to the Georgian restaurant. We'll report back probably tomorrow morning on how that all went. Now, the, the younger men uh, are in the habit of hitting the minibar late at night. I would advise them strongly against it, knowing only too well from my youth the drastic consequences this can have the following morning. But uh, so tonight I'll be counselling. They've got an early start tomorrow. I'll be counselling to go easy on the minibar. OK, that's all we have time for. But do join us next week when we continue our adventures in Ukraine with a visit to the Halo Trust. Goodbye. Goodbye.